I'm Carlos Virgen, and this is The Storyline, produced by The Day in New London, Connecticut. This week, reporter Lindsay Boyle joins us to talk about a Norwich police manhunt that resulted in a dead suspect, and about how she got a chance to spend some time with dogs at canine tactical training. So, Lindsay, walk us through uh, what happened in Norwich um, this weekend, starting Saturday with a home invasion, leading through a manhunt for a suspect and the eventual death of the suspect. Um, Can you walk us through the timeline of events? Sure, yeah. Um, there are a lot of moving parts here. Uh, kind of took a while to, f- to figure it all out. Um, so Saturday night around, uh, I think it was 10.30, um, well, suspect Brandon Uzielko, he uh, allegedly invaded this home um, on Corto Road. Uh, the information we got at first was just that this home invasion had occurred. Um, a man had been stabbed repeatedly and the man was in critical condition. Um, We didn't learn about this until Monday uh, when police issued a bulletin and said this had happened and to keep on the lookout for for this Brandon um, Uzialko. So that's kind of all of the information we had at first. Um, We didn't have the address or, you know, the, the, the victim. Right, nothing like that. It was the next day, Tuesday, um, around 6.30 that someone said they spotted Brandon in the Greenville section of the city. Um, what ensued from there has been pretty well documented. Um, massive manhunt. Some are saying some of, one of the biggest manhunts they can remember in recent history, at least. At some point, relatively early, uh, shots are fired. Um, we pretty quickly learned that Norwich police were involved in this. It was described as an exchange of gunfire between suspect and Norwich police. Um, From there, we don't really get a lot more for a while, uh, understandably. They've got the place blocked off. They're not really (laughs) going to be... This is Tuesday night. Yes. They're not going to be issuing information as something active like this is going on. Um, But we now know that around 10.30, again, Tuesday night, they had found Brandon Uzielko. According to police, he was dead when they found him. They found him at the intersection of 13th and Prospect. Does, we, that, uh, does that mean he was outside? Was he indoors somewhere? We don't know. We don't know. We, we don't have a lot of details about the death. Um, still right now, I can't get police to say whether he even had a gunshot wound. Um, it, it seems pretty safe to say that they're investigating whether an officer killed him with a gunshot. Um, There's only one officer involved. We got that information from state police who are investigating. 10.30, suspect is dead. Um, The next day, this is when I pick up, I headed out there in the morning. Um, I decided, because we still didn't have information about the home invasion, not much, um, to start there. was able to pretty quickly discern it was 67 quarto um, in part because as I was you know 
walking through the neighborhood, um, there were there was actually a couple medical gloves left behind in the driveway. So I walked up um, 67. I was going to knock on 67, but someone at 65 came out, and, and this is a duplex. So 67 was on the left, 65 was on the right. So someone comes out at 65, and I ask her about it. So this is the location of the home invasion on Saturday. Correct. I asked her about it, and she she doesn't actually live there. She's a grandmother who comes here to watch kids during the day, weekdays. Um, but from what she understands, like it happened next door. She confirms that, and the the woman who lives there, she said, hasn't really been back, understandably. So uh, we have 67 at that point. We have an idea from social media who the victim is. Um, I ended up on my trek across Norwich, stopping at the police department and asking them, like, can you say at this point that Carlos Gale is the victim? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can confirm that at this point. So that's how we kind of tied up that um, that loose end. So it starts at 67, um, and, and it ends in Greenville. So I did go to Greenville as well on Wednesday. And that's when I was just talking to some residents who, who saw it or who didn't see it. Um, one woman told me that she she had gotten back after this started. Keep in mind, it's, it's 6.30, so a lot of people get back to their homes after 6.30. Um, she wasn't allowed back into her home, which happens to be next to where the body was found um, until about 3 a.m. So she just had to sit in a parking lot off Central Ave um, wow. while she waited for police to kind of clear this clear this whole scene up. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's what we knew on Wednesday, until I, I got to the courthouse. So at that point, the uh, during the, the the search for the suspect, they the police blocked off. Do you know was it a couple of uh, square blocks? Um, it's from 11th Street to 13th Street on Boswell, right? Yeah, um, you know, I think I think that night that it was even beyond that. Mm. Um, what they were very interested in Wednesday morning was 11th through 13th between Prospect and Boswell. Um, it might have been a little bit bigger than that when, when he was on the loose. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, still a pretty sizable area. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty disruptive for, for a lot of folks. So when so now you are at that point trying to uh, contact family, uh, mm-hmm. friends, relatives of, of the victim and the suspect. Yeah. Um, so uh, what's what's interesting with something this big? Um, we, we try to tag team it if we can. Um, in this case, we could. So Claire Bissett, who's the Norwich reporter, and I were both were both on this. Um, like I said, I started at home invasion site, got a name, went to. Um, manhunt site, talked to people. Then I went to um, a relative of, of Carlos Gale's old address. Um, I didn't know at the time it was an old address, um, but I knocked on the door and these people were like, oh, we don't know who that is. So um, kind of struck out on that. We we did send Facebook messages to people who, who know Carlos, um, trying to just get some information about, uh, geez, uh, <laughs> what it's like to go through something like this. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was going on. It's a lot, it's a lot harder than it sounds because you send messages. Most people don't answer at all. A lot say they're not comfortable. 
you go to addresses, Claire struck out at least three um, because people don't live there anymore or they're not home, they're at work. So it, it can be pretty frustrating and it's a really long process. Um, but yeah, so, so after we, we did all of that, um, we kind of got to the more, the, the usual suspects, the usual people we talked to. So I went to the courthouse. Um, Brandon had a couple pending cases. One of them was, uh, I believe, second-degree strangulation um, with four other charges. So I wanted to get more information about that. I, I grabbed the um, arrest warrant affidavit for that case, and I started, you know, I went to a Dunkin' Donuts and sat down to dissect that because we want to get some history about him. Um, Claire had reached out to his mother, I should mention, and she didn't r reply. Um, Claire called the police chief, um, Norwich Housing Authority Security, which um, they own 67 Cordo Road. Um, and she, she did a, a brief background of all of the use of force incidents with Norwich police. So together, um, that, that took a long time to compile all of that. And at the end of the day, I went back and, and rewrote kind of what we had and, and made it a, a logical story. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the suspect and the victim and, and how we pieced that together? Was it from police reports? Was it from other uh, reporting? Yeah, and so that still didn't come from police. Um, actually, when I was sending just a flurry of Facebook messages in the morning, um, one person I reached out to was Justin Fowler. Um, he did end up calling me back. Um, he is the ex-husband of Sonia Fowler, whose name I... Um, I haven't mentioned her name yet. Um, Sonia is the woman at 67 Quarto. He was able to help me really understand better how all of these people are intertwined. And in a very brief synopsis, it goes like this. Sonia dates Brandon in, in high school. That is, it ends for some reason. Around 2009, Sonia and Justin start to date. Um, they dated for quite a while and then got married. And they had two kids. Um, that formally ended in March 2015. It might have actually ended a little bit before that. Um, so Sonia is still in contact with Brandon and actually starts to be in a relationship with him again. Um, during that time, early February 2016, uh, Sonia has a kid with Brandon. Um, the strangulation incident that I referred to, um, which according to police documents, this was a pending case. He hadn't been convicted, but um, police say that he, um, there was good evidence that he had thrown her down the stairs and then choked Sonia. her. Sonia. Yes. That, that in August 2016, he threw her down the stairs and then choked her on the kitchen floor. So um, at that point, she kind of was like, okay this isn't going to work. So it was relatively recently, according to Justin, that she started dating Carlos Gale. So maybe just a month or two, um, she hadn't been with him for very long. But that's how it kind of pieced together, how all of these people are intertwined. Now, what are we looking to, are we still waiting to learn more about the case, to learn more about the suspect, uh, the victim? What, what are the next steps for, for reporting? Yeah, I, I think a lot of questions still remain. I think people get frustrated when this doesn't come out quickly, but I, I really, I understand why it doesn't. 
Um, we, I, I do wish we knew if if Brandon had gunshot wounds or wound. Um, that, that I can't get confirmed. I've tried multiple times. I think they're getting annoyed with me at this point. But um, th- that would be helpful to at least be able to report that that happened, even if that's not how he died. But where we are right now, um, we know there was an exchange of gunfire. We know only one officer has been placed on administrative leave, um, standard procedure in this case. Um, We know that there is an investigation into how Brandon died, and we know that the the, uh, Wyndham County uh, State's Attorney's Office has assumed that investigation. Uh, again, standard procedure. Um, so, so what we're really hoping to find out is, you know, was it a gunshot wound? Um, was it a Norwich police officer bullet? Was it self-inflicted? Um, those are the questions that we don't we don't have any idea uh, right now. So, and uh, the status of Carlos Gale is the last I checked, uh, he was stable, vital signs. Stable is not a condition, um, but it's his vital signs were stable, and um, he was conscious and alert, which is a good thing. Um, the thing is, uh, we can't verify it ourselves because whichever hospital he's at, he's asked not to uh, let the public know, um, which is a right that you have. So if we call all of our hospitals in the state, they all say they don't have him there, but he's at one of them. So we, we can't independently uh, verify what his condition is, and police have only said that his signs are stable. So you've also been spending time with uh, dogs and uh, police canine trainers. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what you've been doing this week with, with uh, the, the dogs? Uh, Book ending my day across the entire city of Norwich on Wednesday. Um, I have been spending time with a bunch of canines and handlers of varying degrees of skill and uh, experience. Um, first day was in New London. Um, this is part of a, th- a three-day training. Um, it's put on by the North American Work Dog Association and the Connecticut Work Dog Association um, for, I want to say, 24 students. And it's it's beyond the basic canine training. So these dogs are already trained on the basic um, 10 to 12-week course. So they, they know tracking or narcotics or both, if they're specialized in both. Um, this is this is a step above that. So um, I, I've gotten incredible ac- incredible access to what goes into taking it to the next level. Um, so day one, they, they call it the uh, crawl, walk, run. So day one is crawl. Uh, they learned just just very basic skills um, that they might not have been exposed to before. So for example, um, there was an entire section on. Um, what do you do if your canine sustains a stab wound or a bullet wound? Uh, it was specifically, here are all of the, the steps that you need to take uh, based on these various situations. Pretty cool. Um, there was actually a, what do you do if you've been shot? Um, teaching about tourniquets and stuff like that. Um, and then there was a section that happened outside on that, on that super. If you think about Tuesday, it was crazy windy. Um, so on that day, 
uh, one of the sections was outside and they were teaching people how to use a long line. Um, and what that means is a, a leash that's like 30 feet long. So if you have a dog, imagine um, going down a hallway and then he darts into a room and starts barking. If you're paying enough attention and you're experienced enough with this, the angle of the line, the leash, will tell you exactly where the perpetrator is in the room. Hmm. So they were learning that kind of thing. You know, they amped up the work on Wednesday. By yesterday, they were being placed in, in pretty pretty scary situations, and um, they were asked to remember all these skills and put them together, uh, you know, multiple skills at once. Um, and, you know, some did so more successfully than others, but they, they all got to, to run through it again uh, in the second half of the day, and, and hopefully they, they come out of there with some really interesting knowledge. And I'll, I'll give a scenario um, from Thursday, just so you can have an idea what I mean. Um, <clears throat> Thursday morning, the first scenario of the day was, it was in a, a basement hallway, and each handler was advised beforehand that, okay, imaginary, right? It's a scenario. Two inmates have escaped. You're clearing the prison, let's say, and your job is to find them and get them back into custody. So you've got your canine and you've got a partner. Um, so the scenario starts upstairs. You walk down the stairs on the long line and then there's a door and you have to kick open the door so you can clear this room. Well, in an ideal world, you would maybe kick open the door a little bit, let your dog in there to kind of figure out where these guys are, which became more clear as it went. It wasn't really fair to the first guy, but the first guy kind of, he went in pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I was listening from right outside. So there are two gunshots. All, all of this is simulated guns, not real, of course, but there are two gunshots immediately that hit his partner. So his partner's down and out of the equation and as soon as that happens, some other guy comes from behind him because he was looking at the gunshots and just mugs him. So he's in like a physical fight with this guy while another guy down the hallway has a gun. So he sent his dog, um, got the guy with the gun, which was good, um, but then he got in this crazy physical fight with, with the guy <laughs> behind him. So um, yeah, they, they were they were supposed to, of course, hopefully, not have that happen, but. Um, that was an example of one of the scenarios that they were going through on Thursday. So story to come, we'll have some images, video. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff, hopefully. Um, hopefully it'll be super visual so you can kind of see what I saw um, and that'll be put out next week. Perfect, well, thank you for stopping by. Of course, no problem. A couple of other noteworthy news items. Connecticut is on the verge of finally getting a budget. On Thursday, the Connecticut House of Representatives 
voted to give final legislative passage to an overdue bipartisan budget. The House voted 126 to 23 to send Malloy a veto-proof $41.3 billion two-year spending plan and puts the state on track to end a budget impasse that has gone on for 118 days. Malloy's office did not indicate whether he would sign the bill. You can read more on theday.com. On Wednesday, October 18, two people were killed in a multi-vehicle crash on Interstate 95, northbound between exits 70 and 71. One of the vehicles was a truck pulling an excavator on a trailer, and another was a car, which caught on fire. The roughly nine-mile stretch of road, which makes up about 5% of Interstate 95 in Connecticut, has accounted for more than 17% of its fatal wrecks over the past two years. We want to hear from you. What do you think law enforcement and state and local officials should do to improve the safety of that part of I-95 between exits 70 and 76 in Old Lyme and East Lyme? And what can they do to reduce the number of injury and fatal car wrecks? Give us a call at 860-701-4308 to share your thoughts. Or email me a voice memo at c.virgen at theday.com. Make sure you include your name and the town you live in. And we may use your comment in a future episode of The Storyline.